Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast. A podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. Darren Hinch, welcome to That's Life. Thank you, Tony. Good to be here. And uh, good to be out of lockdown. It is indeed, yeah. I was at... uh I had lunch with uh, my colleagues from the Justice Party um, across the road where you've been um, on Friday, and then on Saturday I, I went to Romeo's for my regular interrupted uh, Saturday bowl of minestrone with my former producer and friend uh, Dermot O'Brien. So, and Turok actually was, it was a bit wet and a bit, bit quiet, surprisingly. Yeah, well, I guess people are still, uh, you know, <laughs> getting used to being able to go out uh, and about. You, 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 you've touched on a very good point there because I think um, our lives, or probably forever, uh, you, you, you've made decisions in lockdowns and you think, oh, do I have to do that? Do I want to do that anymore? You know, that's why I think restaurants are going to be hurt a lot because people who've been eating at home, cooking at home, doing living at home, um, suddenly think, oh, can I really be bothered? And you're finding that sort of stuff. And people are still going out walking and exercising and and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I think people are changing in their attitudes. I think it it could be permanent. Well, I I interviewed a psychologist about this, and and she said that people get used to sort of rhythms in their lives, you know, going Mm -hmm. out to visit people and have visitors over and that sort of thing. And we're right out of that habit. And you have to make a conscious effort then to restart it. Uh, And I guess that's going to take some time too. I've got no doubt we'll get back to normal life, but it'll, it'll take a little while. Well, the day the day after we were let out of lockdown, I had uh, Kelly Casey, my uh, hairdresser, came over home and chopped my mullet off, which made me feel very happy. <laughs> right, a, 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 inch, a inch mullet at my age is not a good look. I could re- disguise it on sunrise quite well, I thought. <laughs> I tell you what, though, I'm impressed by your head of hair. I mean, it's just amazing. You've still got. I reckon you've still got every hair you were born with. <laughs> Well, it's a life of when I was uh, had cancer and uh, and having chemotherapy and nuclear therapy, and uh, some of it did fall out for a minute, but it came back even stronger. You know, and uh, funny enough, Bob Rogers, my dear old friend, radio man in Sydney, um, Bob has a huge shock of white hair, and it's been white for for decades. And he had cancer and he had chemo, and his hair didn't fall out. And I said to him then, I think it's metallic. I don't believe your hair is real. <laughs> my hairdresser says to me, your hair's got a mind of its own. I said, well, that's okay. Because <laughs> funny enough, my poor bro- my dad had, had hair at a very late age, and my grandmother, I think it's on your grandmother's side, and my paternal grandmother, she had a, a big shock of black hair when she was 95. Um, my poor brother Desmond, he was nearly bald by the age of 28. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's just, right. uh, I mean, I said to him, I said, you poor bugger. Two things happened. Um, and he, I've told the story before. One, he was nearly bald at 28. He got terrible acne at 16. I got none, you know. <laughs> Everything, he, every time he turned somewhere, something happened to him. Well, it's, it's like my family. For some reason, I mean, I'm the third child of five. My two sisters went grey in their 20s. Now, I've got... Really, jet black hair still in 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 my in at my age, 
and my two older brothers are much, much shorter than I am. So <laughs> I got all the genes for some reason. Yeah. It, it is funny, you know, with, with hair because, um, uh, to be honest, I wouldn't like to be bald. Uh, and it does make you look a bit younger. Um, and, and, you know, I... Well, the problem with going bald is what, what do you actually do? Do you, do you grow the sides or do you shave the sides or do you... Well, well going back to my brother Des, who um, he's older than me, he's four years older. Uh, I was in New Zealand a couple of years, a few years ago and just when number one cut and number two cut were coming in and I said, Desmond, you're the only person in New Zealand who doesn't think you're bald. He had the most elaborate comb over. He had the most elaborate comb over. If he went for a swim, he had a ponytail growing out of his left ear, you know? Well, I, I remember watching a 7.30 report interviewing some Iraqi guy during the Iraq war. I think it was the first Iraq war. And the guy had no hair on top, but he had this big comb over, which... Um, you know, uh, was over the top of his head. The problem was it was really windy and it sort of would blow, blow out about a metre, a, a, a foot and a half sort of uh, yeah, yeah. on the side of his head. But the moment they crossed back to the guy in the studio, someone would fix his hair up because when they went back to him, it would be back over the top back of his head. Well, my brother, I said, look, this that one cuts, number two cuts down, just shave it off because he had this elaborate comb over. And he said, oh, could I leave the little bits on the side? I said, no, you'll look like a Trappist monk. I said, just shave it off. And he did, and and, and it, it, it looks fine. Well, I, I when hair transplants started coming in, I remember Harry Beitzel was one of oh, the yeah. first. The worst one, wasn't it? <laughs> and he, at one stage, grew a beard. So he had a beard where the beard came up to the tip, the bottom of his lip. But his hair was sort of like a tip on the top of his head. So I remember reading an article saying Harry's the only guy who looks the same upside down as the right <laughs> way up. Well, Bert Newton, of course, had a famous transplant that didn't really work. And uh, and he made a joke years later of taking his wig off and uh, showing his bald head. And, and, uh, and Moonface now, you know, it, it doesn't worry about it at, at all. You know. but, well, uh, I, I don't know why people persist with wearing uh, toupees and, and that's because you can pick a wig a mile off. Of course you off. can. Yeah, you can, yeah. There well, was a guy... Because they wear, they wear them too far down their forehead, you know. If they, you'd be better off having a toupee that was like half a head of hair, you know. Um, so it looked like you actually... Well, I must say, Shane Warne, for example... Um, uh, you know, he was going bald and he's gone to this, uh, the thing that Greg Matthews went to, uh, I've forgotten what the name of the organisation is, and it's sort of, uh, he obviously gets his hair cut there all the time. Obviously, they thatched it in good. in some way. Yeah. But yeah. he looks okay. Yeah. Well, see, that's not, that's that, that's from memory, I haven't had this done, obviously, but um, they're not transplants, they're hair extensions. Yes. So, and so it looks a bit better. The problem was, yeah, most most transplants look look f phony, and toupees certainly. You can, you can pick a, a toupee a mile off, you know. And it's, it's you sort of form an opinion about someone who wears something like that. It's like I don't know. <laughs> well, they used, to, they used to say, never trust a man who parts his hair in the middle or wears a brown suit. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember you had a line: never trust a man who wears his pants up too high. Oh yes, yes. The Harry hip, what are they the Harry high, high, Harry high pants. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, the joke used to be, uh, what do you call a New Zealander in a suit? What? The defendant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Anyway, we better get on to what we're going yeah, to do. I know, to talk I don't know how we got on to all that. Anyway, let's go. Um, we uh, Look, the reason we're talking about this is because, um, look, you've met many, many people over the years, many characters, people that uh, mere mortals like me would not even get close to. Uh, and a lot of them are, are Australian icons, world icons, but I think we'll focus on the Australian ones uh, mm -hmm. today. I've got a long list here, and I, I'd like your view on on there. Many of them have, uh, are no longer with us. Uh, Jack Hamilton, for example. Well, keep in mind here that I'm, I've gotten a lot of trouble over the past when I've, I've said and I've stuck to all history owes the dead is the truth. And I've often said if, if somebody found out something scandalous about me on the day I die because of defamation suits, go for it. You know, I'm, well, I'm I think you should stick with what you're, uh, you know, you've done all your life. Yeah, so. I do. And, I, and that's why there have been people I've said should not have had a state funeral. And well, I guess it's because, you know, the person's just died. Everyone's sad. I mean, any death is Yeah, and I mean, the sad. old line, if you, if you can't say something good about something, somebody, don't say anything at all. Yeah, well, but over time, the, all, all of the stuff comes out. It's not, the way, it's not the way journalists work, you know. It's, uh, I was it's, watching a documentary about uh, the Duke of Edinburgh's uh, uncle. Um, I'm having a scene. Lord, Lord Mountbatten. Lord Mountbatten, yeah. Uh, and how sort of he manufactured his, uh, you know, profile and uh, how he was being portrayed to the point where even he sort of organised his own funeral and stuff like that. But eventually it all comes out, you know, all of mm. the, the letters that he wrote, uh, things that uh, people say about him. Uh, his alleged affair with the uh, the wife of the Indian uh, Prime Minister, um, <laughs> things like that, yeah. Well, I think it was the other way around. I, I think Nehru had an affair with his wife. <laughs> oh, well, that could have been it too. Cause then, well, when they carved up India and gave half to Pakistan, something was going on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's, yeah. uh, let's anyway, start let's with Jack Hamilton, who was the head of the AFL in the days yes. when, when I don't think he got paid very much. Now the yeah. head of the AFL gets paid two, three, we don't even know how much, but it's millions. More than a million dollars a year, that's true. Well, Jack, I've been to Jack Hamilton's funeral. He was, it was, that was the, um, um, yeah, the VFL in those days. And uh, he was really, he was a great guy, except... On Brownlow night, he was the dullest, slowest reader of the votes in the world. <laughs> I said, to, I remember saying once on radio, if somebody had arrived in Melbourne on Brownlow night and turned on their television, they would say, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> So-and-so, Carlton, three votes. <laughs> and it would go on for hours. It now, did. It now, did. he died in a car accident, died suddenly in a car accident uh, mm. north of uh, Melbourne. You remember that day? You, you were on radio at that time. I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he was a very popular man, you know. He, he really was. So you interviewed Jack Hamilton quite often, I guess, on, on oh, the yeah. radio. Uh, what was he like as a, as a, a media performer, I guess? Oh, he, he, was, he was good, and he was, he was very refreshing, actually, from memory. It was quite a while ago now. Uh, passionate about, about football, and, uh, but it, it, was, it was a different time. I mean, it wasn't such a big business. I mean, you wouldn't dream that, a, that a, his replacement would get more than $1 million, $2 million a year and that p clubs would make a fortune. Uh, and we, we went through some terrible times. I mean, I, I, I lived through, and many of us did, the, the near, very near merger of Hawthorne and Melbourne, and that was came so close. The move of Fitzroy to, to, to Queensland to become the Brisbane Bears, now the Brisbane Lions, you know? Well, even so before that, and it was at the beginning of uh, the VFL trying to go national, was South Melbourne... Mm -hmm 
going to Sydney. Now, mm. I have a distinct memory of all of that. In the mid-80s, people didn't like it. Uh, some people did. Ron Barassi, I must say, he was always a supporter of... of national, uh, yeah, it was of spreading, that. yeah. He, he knew it had to grow. Look, on my one of my trophy walls here, uh, I have a cup... Which made which was from the VFL, and I was media personality of the year. And I didn't even cover football, but what I I did a three-hour show once on the future of football uh, in Melbourne, and uh, and I, I was spinning off from this uh, the day after um, the grand final, which of course was Melbourne won in Perth. I had the most beautiful long conversation with Ronald Dale Barassi. It was just lovely. Oh, uh, tell us about that. Yeah, it was it was lovely. I mean, we know that that that, that Ron's having some troubles, some dementia troubles these days. And uh, but he, um, we had a wonderful conversation. I mean, he, we, he knew who I was. He knew about three. We talked about three AW, and uh, we go back a long way. And I remember talk. We talked to him on, on this after the win. Uh, I remember I'd, I'd had a, a shit fight with three AW and walked out over something, right? And I was home in my apartment in South Melbourne the morning after. And uh, I got a call from Ron, Ron Barassi. And he gave me a lecture, a footballer's lecture, about there's no I in team. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and I said, I'm not a team player, Ron. You know that all, all my life. I'm not. I, I play for myself. Um, but he, and then he gave me his, his, that great slogan of his, the two-letter words, if it is to be, it is up to me. And he gave me this lecture how I had to go back to 3AW and I did go back on the Monday. But I found out later, he'd called me the morning after his mother had died. Oh, right. Still worried about a colleague whom he thought should, was doing the wrong thing. And I thought, what a, what a classy man. He really was. I'll give you a word of warning. It probably still applies. You can call him Barass. I used to call him Ronald Dale. You can call him Barass, call him whatever, Mr. Barassi. Don't ever call him Barassi. Why? He, he would go mad because he said it reminded him of his school days when the teachers would call him Barassi and it demeaned him. Right. And he, I, I remember once, well, only one time I ever called him um, Barassi and he really flared, you know. So obviously stuck in his mind. Yeah, he, look, I, I interviewed him once on the Italian station because uh, he's got an Italian background and he came into the studio and he was magnificent and he was very lucid uh, would have been about 10 years ago and he talked about his uh, his his family coming from uh, near the Swiss border in Italy in the 1850s and settling near Dalesford and uh, he said he went back to the house that they lived in which was uh, rock and stone and brick, which I think they might have built, built themselves. Um, and then he talked about going to visit his father's grave because his father mm. played for Melbourne. That's right. I saw, I've saw the, seen the footage of Ron at his father's grave. It's, it's quite, quite moving, actually. Yeah, well, he was quite moved talking about it. And, of course, he was a little boy when his dad didn't come back from the yeah. war. And the Melbourne Football Club and Norm Smith, the coach, sort of looked after him. What a, well, yeah, he, he lived with the Smiths. He became like a, a foster son to the famous Norm Smith. Anyway. Yeah, and, w and when you look at his story, you're just thinking about it now, what an amazing story, really. Oh, yeah. And then when he quit Melbourne and went where to Carlton, they just, it was unbelievable. People couldn't believe it. I mean, it, that was, 
heresy in, in, in Melbourne for somebody. Yeah, uh, well, he was successful too, you know, like he, he, yeah. he, he won Carlton some uh, premierships. I remember going to the 1976 grand final when North Melbourne were playing at Hawthorne and North Melbourne had just won the year before, but they'd never won a premiership in their, in their whole history up <laughs> until <guess>. Ron Barassi uh, <laughs> went there. Yeah, that's right. Hey, I mean, um, when, when I came to Australia from New Zealand, I'd lived in Christchurch uh, with an Australian journal. So I knew a bit about Australian rules. I couldn't understand what a behind was, but I knew you had four goalposts, which I thought was strange. Um, the only footballer, the only two people I really knew in Australia were, um, were Ron Barassi, because he was just, that's how famous he was, mm. Ron Barassi, you know, you know and, and, and Lou Richards. Not because he's on television, but because he owned a journalist pub in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I've said before, I grew up in Coffs Harbour and the only two people we knew were Ron Barassi and Alex Jezelenko for some reason. Mm -hmm. uh, and no one, no, you know, people like uh, uh, the Footscray guy died of uh, prostate cancer. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Channel 9 fellow. Uh, Ted, Ted Whitten. Yeah. yeah. All of those names. Gee, we're, do we're doing well with names today, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're going to take ages to get through these. Uh, oh, okay, move on. Ron Walker. Now, Ron Walker, uh, you know, he, he was in business circles, head of Fairfax, chairman, Grand Prix Corporation, Lord, 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 Lord Mayor. Mayor. He was Lord Mayor when you were big yeah, on radio. I, uh, actually, um, I, I knew Ron very well, actually. I can call him a friend. Uh, he, he was... He was fantastic, and I'll get to why some other stuff in, in a minute, but um, he was number one ticket holder at Melbourne when I was number two ticket holder, so we spent a lot of time together at, at the footy. Um, when he got very sick before he died, he um, it was amazing. He was, so, he, he was so positive and so brave. I mean, we'd both have, had cancer and life-threatening experiences, and he managed to be able to be a millionaire, man, to, to afford this incredibly expensive treatment, which he would have in Hawaii. He'd fly to Hawaii for this treatment, which worked very well. And he campaigned so hard to get it on the on the, the list of prescribed drugs, which it, it did get to, and it's now available to people who weren't and aren't millionaires. Uh, it, it was incredible. He was, he, I think from memory, he told me he fell off his bike and... Went to hospital to have a checkup, and that's when I found out he had this incredible um, brain problem, and he was due to get on a plane next day to go overseas. If he'd been on a plane, he would have died. Mm. And it was pure, this, this, I'm sure it was a bike bike ride or something like that that he told me about. Um, but he, he was an extraordinary man, very very generous. When I was on radio, he's a bit like Kerry Packer. I'd launched some campaign saying this family, this poor old lady's house burned down, she's not insured, she needs 20 grand. I'd get a call off air, for, off air from Ron Walker, uh, a bit like Kerry, and he'd say, look, let me know how much you're short of, and I'll, but don't mention it to anybody, I'll, I'll, I'll drop it in. So if we got to $7,000, he'd drop in the other 13, you know? I mean, and he, he did that, I'm sure, so many times, as Kerry Packer did as well, so... I have He's a memory good, good of, of he and his wife funding a hospital somewhere in uh, northern Victoria, country hospital. That oh, was yes, yes, they going did. Going to close down. I don't know the details of it. Uh, how did he make his money? Was, was it, did he, did he um, 
come from a family of money or uh, so? No, no, he Rollinson Rollinson from memory was involved with um involved in, he, he was a developer, property developer. And uh see he he um they built uh, Crown here in Melbourne. With Lloyd Williams. Crown, Crown Casino, you know, with with Williams, yeah. So uh, he was he was a developer. He owned a um, a funny. He, he made his kids work hard. Uh, I met them a lot of times. Just one of them ran the local service station, local servo up in um, Turak, which is now a uh, an apartment building. But they, um, I think they called it the Turak Oil Company, and <laughs> it was a, a servo. Uh, but that's how, that's how he made his money. Um, he used to have he he used to have the most and Barbara used to have the most amazing Christmas parties. I can tell you, wonderful. You 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 attended obviously. Mm hmm. Because I remember they had this beautiful swimming pool at their house and the service was so flat that at one Christmas party I was watching and at one of the musos didn't realise it was a swimming pool and walked straight, <laughs> in, walked straight, walked straight across it and, and disa disappeared from view. Now, the saxophone took a bit of clearing out. What were they like? They put it down to earth. Uh, oh, people. Yeah, when, much, when you, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm imagining a, a big Turek mansion with a uh, big, you know, beautiful. No, no, very, very, and, uh, very, um, very good host and very, very easygoing. No, there, no, there were no pretensions. A lady that died uh, last year and uh, who uh, was uh, of Italian background as well, but very big in the fashion area, Carla Zampatti. Now, I know you knew her. <laughs> Carla Zampatti. Well, uh, you yes. her, knew her before she was Carla Zampatti. I, I knew her before she was Carla Zampatti. I'll, I'll back into the story. Uh, she was clever. She was wonderful. Uh, she was a, a really good talent at a very young age. Anyway... I was in New York working, and uh, a guy called Jack Cannon, who worked for the Melbourne Herald. I remember him, yes. I remember him. He, he called me up and said, hey, Darren, I've got uh, Carlos Zampatti's in town having a drink with me. Uh, do you want to join us? I said, oh, I'd like to. So, yeah, I know, Car I know of her. So I go down to the local bar, and we have a drink, and then uh, Carla and I peel off, and we, uh, we go off to have dinner, just the two of us together. She was about to fly off to Paris. And uh, we're having a chat and chatting away, and suddenly I said, Carla? You're Mary Zampatti. She said, what? I said, you're Mary Zampatti. She said, well, yeah. I said, we used to go out together when I was a young journo in Sydney. <laughs> well, I, I lived at Rushcutters Bay. And she oh. I said, you used to be a window dresser at David Jones. And she said, yes. I said, we've known each other for 25 years. <laughs> I didn't recognise her all these years later. But, now she was good fun. Very talented. And, you know, she came from a migrant family and... She became one of the most stylish uh, designers, fashion designers, uh, here. Um, TV in the uh, 70s, mid-70s to the early 80s, dominated by this guy, American. Morton Isaacson was his real name. Don yeah. Lane was his TV name. Uh, yeah, yeah, Don Lane. Um, was it David Morton Isaacson? Morton David oh, Isaacson. Yeah, Morton yeah. Isaacson, I thought. Yeah, uh, he was. Yeah, but he was, he was, he was another one, another name. The other it was David Morton Isaacson. Yep, Don Lane. Um, he 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 did dominate TV over here. The Don Lane show was incredible, and he had the the, the sidekick Bert Newton, and they worked incredibly well together. Uh, I did his show quite a lot of times, uh, but I found it quite disconcerting. Um, one was he used to always interview his guests in the afternoon beforehand. Uh, and 
you talk, you'd leave all the good stuff on the cutting room floor, you know what I mean? I remember once he was interviewing Kirk Douglas and Douglas looked at him and said, uh, I told you that was afternoon. <laughs> You know, um, I guess he wanted to know what the answer was, so he knew what line he could use next. That's right. Now he was he was the worst person to use a clipboard. When I did when I did the midday show, I never used a clipboard, and it was for one reason only. I would after my show after midday, I'd go out and talk to the studio audience, just have a little chat. And part of my spiel was, I'd say, look. Uh, you may notice I don't use a clipboard on this show, and the reason is because uh, another TV person who, who still remained nameless, Don Lane, um, used to always use a clipboard. And I recall, and the story I would tell, a, a hypothetical story, I'd say, I'm being interviewed by Don Lane, and Don would say, hey, hi, hi, I hear you just got back from Hong Kong. And he'd say, yes. Uh, great place, isn't it? Yes. Did you have a good time? Well, no, because my mother fell off the Star Ferry and drowned. <laughs> Isn't the food good? Because <laughs> yes. that was the next question on his list. I mean, he wasn't he, really an interviewer. He was more yeah. an, an entertainer. Singer. Well, he was. He's a quite a good singer, actually. But but the thing is, if that was his list, and you, when you when you're on his show, you'd be talking to the top of his head because he's looking down to read the next question, so he's not even listening to your answer. What was he like off the TV screen, though? Um, uh, he, was he the same, different? Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he, was, he was far more blokey than you'd think, actually. He, he once took me to a um, my first rugby league game in Sydney. He supported, I think, the, 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 the Newtown Jets, I think they were. Um, but we went there, and what got me was, A, they'd run out of money so their, their restaurant wasn't finished, and B, at half-time we went into the rooms and guys were smoking and, having cigar- uh, smoking and drinking beer. <laughs> and half time, you know. so, wonderful but, athletes. Yeah, but he was—he he, he was quite a good character. Um, I'll put this very delicately. He had some very unusual um, sexual ideas. Well, well, well I, I, these are things that, are, that you sort of uh, you hear, and I don't know what uh, how well, much. I, I'm, I'm going to be careful is. here because I, I know of two women who experienced things. With Donald Morton, that's right. Donald Morton Isaacson, his name was. I, I know two women who experienced things with him. Um, he was he was a womanizer, though, wasn't he? Um, yes, he was. But he had some strange ideas about relationships. <laughs> Let me put it that way. You, yeah. don't, you don't want to go into any of them. Well, one girl told me that she she thinks she may have had a drink spike, but anyway, she fell asleep in his apartment and passed out. And woke up to him not calling an ambulance, but he's calling his lawyer. Oh. <laughs> so, anyway, let's leave that. That's as far as I'll go. Right. Um, hey, listen, going, going back to Peter Brock, because I, this thing about all history owes the dead is the truth. I, I was shocked when he got a state funeral. Um, I can tell this quite clearly. Um, if he were alive, I'd, I could say it too. He was a wife basher. Uh, Michelle Downs, was, Miss Australia, was one of his wives. Uh, he, he 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 broke her jaw. Um, one of the things that now I didn't get that from Michelle, even though I, I knew her reasonably well after I found out about all this. Uh, I got it from the emergency department at Box Hill Hospital, who called me. Now that's that's you know that's, that's releasing medical information, but they shouldn't have done it. But they're so worried that this poor woman had had been had a jaw smashed on the footpath outside her home. Uh, and all that stuff about the you know, the, the, the the pyramids, remember all that stuff as well? Um, 
he was he was not a good he was a brilliant bay driver he drove me around bathurst at more than 200 k's an hour so he's a brilliant athlete did you but, did you confront him at any stage uh, no i didn't he, know when, when back then when, when when i drove around bathurst i um i didn't um i didn't know it was year, years later that i found out that uh, what he was capable of and i know he's um his partner his ex-wife has uh, has denied it all but um I, I have no doubt in my mind at all that he was Mm. Well, uh, Michelle Downs has spoken publicly about since it. yes, uh, yes. There has been a documentary made. I haven't seen it. Yeah, um, I've seen it, and 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 to be fair, they were very fair in the doco. Uh, one of his from memory, I saw it a long time ago. One of his crew, his car crew, um, smacked him in the mouth and said, "That's what you don't do to women." Mm. So, so they were very honest in the docker. Well, I thought they might fudge it and whatever, but they didn't. They they took it head on. And uh, well, and they, you know, the the seventies when all this happened, um, there was quite a bit. I mean, there's violence against women still, but back well, then, still is sadly still is. Yeah, back back then, it didn't have the stigma that it, it sort of has now, which it should have, of course. But um, y- you know. Uh, it wasn't dealt with in uh, in the way it no, was it wasn't, dealt with. No, no, and, and it was very hard to um, get AVOs and things and get protection. I mean, look, I've told the story before. I was a young police rounds reporter uh, on the Sydney Sun. Now this is back in the back in the sixties, right? And we would uh, doing the midnight till dawn shift, and suddenly you get a call saying, "Ah, uh, got a, got got an assault uh, at Smith Street, Mossman." And we have police radios in our cars, so we could hear it. And we'd immediately start heading for Smith Street, Mossman. And halfway there, you'd hear a copper say, Ah, don't worry, forget it. It's just a domestic. Right. Which meant that Mr O'Farrell, uh, the Irishman, bashed his wife every Saturday night, you know, when he came home pissed. And so I'd say, Nah, forget it, just a domestic. And we turned the car around. And go back to the office. Uh, police didn't terrible. like to get involved. Yeah, I mean, yeah. at the moment uh, we've got a couple of celebrities. Uh, just the other day, uh, Michael Slater, the cricketer, had some mm. uh, uh, situation where he was questioning Manly Court. I think he's been charged. And then there was yes, the, the game show host, uh, uh, Andrew Andrew, Andrew O'Keefe. O'Keefe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll be getting the names again. We're starting to get the names back. We're, war- <laughs> we're warming up. <laughs> Darren, we've gone our full time oh. here. We got we'll, a- do this, we'll do this. We'll do this, do this again. You, you've got a list of names. I've got a long list of names. I think yeah. we're going to have to do ten episodes to get through <laughs> all of these names. Yeah. But well, one quick thing I'll just throw up before we end up is that uh, Richard Pratt, who is a friend of mine, um, uh, or an acquaintance, I've been to his daughter's wedding at Raheen. Um, I said he shouldn't have a state funeral because Richard was involved in, in a cartel of price fixing, which added money, cost to every can of baked beans you ever earned. You know, um, he, he and, and, and cohorts made millions of dollars by price fixing. And I said on that basis, he, 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 it all came out. He paid a big fine, but um, it was something, look, you don't get a state funeral. I don't think, I'm very strong on this. You don't get all history owes the dead is the truth, Tony, and that's what we should be doing. Well, a state funeral is an honour paid by taxpayers. Taxpayer. 
Mm. And I think, I, I, well, I agree with you, not I think. Uh, when taxpayers are paying something, the person who's being honoured should be absolutely, totally squeaky clean. Yeah. And if they're not, they don't deserve the state funeral, despite the fact that they may have been great in many other areas. And yeah, and, 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 and philanthropists. I mean, uh, Richard Pratt was a, was a very generous man, gave a lot of money to charity, did some wonderful things. But you've got to look at things in their totality. You know? and, and he, in business, he did some... Some pretty shonky stuff. Anyway, we've run out of time. Well, we have run out of time. Darren, <laughs> it's fascinating hearing your take on all of these uh, names. So um, uh, We'll do this again. We'll, we'll do, do it again. again. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.